Estás escuchando un mensaje de parte de Vida City Church Houston. Para más información de nuestra iglesia, visita nuestra página de web en vidacch.org. Y ahora con ustedes, el mensaje. You are listening to a message from Vida City Church Houston. For more information about our church, visit our website at vidacch.org. And now with you, today's message. Down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when they saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. I like what it says there. Not that I like, but emphasis. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him on the next day. When he departed, he took out two denarii, gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he answered, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You may be seated in God's church. I'd like to speak for a few moments as using as a subject, what kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor are you? The Reverend and Dr. Martin Luther King once said that life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What are you doing for others? Is your life all about you? Are you using your life to make a difference in somebody else's life? I came to discover that when you are a person an individual that is living your life with some serious sensitivity on how you can help and how you can affect somebody else's life, your life gets fulfilled. And there was a moment in Jesus' journey here on earth that he had a discourse or a conversation with a lawyer, man of the law. And back in verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke, the lawyer asked Jesus two critical questions with the intent to test and trap Jesus. The first question of this test to Jesus, he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life, eternal life. The second question that he asked is, who is my neighbor? The first question is, what must I do to inherit internal, in, eternal life? The second question is, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers the first question 
by saying, you got that one right because you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. You got that one. And that's how Jesus answers him because he tells him, what does the law say? And he says, you shall love the Lord thy God. And Jesus says, okay, you got that one right. But when he asked the second question, who is my neighbor? Jesus does not answer that question how normally we would want him to answer it. But Jesus then goes and tells the story that we just read. And I believe there's some things in this text that are pertinent to our walk with God. And I'd like to share some of these things. The story that is being told here is a scene from a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's, it's a story that is not only a parable, but this road from Jericho to Jerusalem actually exists. It's approximately 17 miles long. And the road that Jesus uses here in this parable, with its downward spiral and its dangerous crevices, it was an ideal place for robbers and bandits to stage their sneak attacks on the people that would travel that road. It has some reality, this parable, because Jesus knew of this road and how dangerous this road was. As a matter of fact, historically, this road was known to be the road of, or called way of blood because of the blood that was often shed there by the robbers that would attack their victims. Something interesting, though, about this passage and this story is that this man that is mentioned in this parable, he took this road, listen to me, very possibly knowing how dangerous this road was. We already know it was known and called the way of blood because of how many people had died or how many people had been assaulted and had been robbed and how much blood uh, was left. They knew it was a dangerous road. And Jesus, knowing of this road, uses this road in this parable. Now, it could be that the person who traveled this road in this parable knew how dangerous it was. But he travels anyway because his choice of going through this road is built under the presumption, listen closely, that either he could handle the danger in it or he presumed that the danger that happened to all those that had fallen in hands of robbers would not happen to him. And before you look at me with a self-righteous face we've got to admit if we're honest for real for real that sometimes we have taken roads we have taken paths and we have made decisions as well as this guy knowing how dangerous and knowing that that the fate of that decision 
could cause harmful consequences, and we've done it. And it's not until we took that decision or made that decision and took that path and things happened that we realized the hard way, I should have just stayed away from that person. I should have stayed away from that decision. I should have stayed away from that situation. But we did it anyway thinking ah, what happened to them is not going to happen to me. And our arrogant self gets us into trouble. The Bible says that as this man is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho, in this road known as the way of blood, he falls into the hands of thieves. My problem with this text is that the average thief usually is trying to steal something from you and not really hurt you or harm you. Yet, in this passage, we don't even know what he stole. All we know is that they jumped on him, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. The Bible doesn't mention again who this is, but apparently this is a different kind of thief. Because this thief comes to kill, to steal and to destroy. I, I think maybe you know who this, this thief is and you might have had confrontations with him in the past. But this person, maybe he resisted like maybe many of us would have. Maybe he resisted because this man now finds himself half dead. He's left half dead and the Bible says that a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him he just passed by. Then there came a Levite. And when he arose, and the Bible says that he looked, passed by on the other side. The priest was negligent. Give credit to the Levite. He was at least nosy. Hello, somebody. Because he actually stopped to see what was wrong, but he kept going. And I think you know people like that. People that stop by when they see that you're hurting, that they see you're going through trials and problems. They stop by, but not because they're going to help. They stop by just to get the news and just to get what's going on and just to hear, get the story, not because they're going to help, but the next thing you know, half of the people that you know already know your business. Hello, somebody. Look at me, not to the person that's in front, behind, or next to you. So this person now stops by, looks, and then just takes off. The priest and the Levite kind of do something right, but at the end it's not. Because according to the law, the Leviticus law, in Leviticus chapter 21 verse 1, it says, God gave a mandate to the priests. He gave a mandate through Moses. And if you read, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the religious leaders, another translation, Say to the priests and the sons of Aaron, No one should make himself unclean, listen, for a dead person among his people. In other words, they were not allowed to touch a dead corpse. That was a law given to them. So to a certain degree, 
they look at that man and they presume that he is dead. They look at this person, but the Bible says he was left half dead. So if he was left half dead, that means he is half alive. Hello, somebody. He's not dead. He's half alive. And the only way that the priest and the Levite could know that is that they had to stop. They had to make contact. They had to maybe check his pulse. They had to maybe check his neck. Maybe they had to do something to see if the guy was still breathing or not. And Vida City Church, please listen to me. That the priest did the right thing by the law. The only thing that they were told was not to touch. They presumed that he was dead. Listen, they presumed that he was dead to keep their job. If we touch him, if he's dead, we can lose our job. We can lose doing our priestly duties. Because if you touch him, you are ceremonially unclean. And you can't serve in the position that you have. So you, listen, you impose death on him to preserve your purity and your little position. What do you mean you impose death? Yes, by touch him, I, I, I can't be the priest. I can't have this position. I can't function the way I could. So I'm going to presume that he's dead and move forward so I can continue to be the priest, continue to be who I am, continue in the name of religion, be what I believe that I am called to do. Hello, somebody. Wake up. I know, I know this is maybe a little bit higher you know, than, than what we're used to. And so, all of a sudden, these guys use the hypocrisy of religion, listen, where they are so holy to lift their hands up to God, but they won't lower their hands to those who are hurting and need us as a neighbor. And I wonder if that's what Vida City Church has done. That we come to church and we can raise our hands. That we come to church and we can lift our hands. That we come to church and yes, we pray, Lord, forgive us. We want you to move in our lives. And we feel good raising holy hands to God. But when we walk out those doors, we can't lower these holy hands. Lower them to help and reach the needy in which Jesus came down to do that for us. To reach us, a humanity that was hurting, a humanity that was in sin, a humanity that was sick with sin. Yet he was able to come down to reach us. Isn't that something that... That we need to learn from Jesus that I can still lift my hands holy to God, but I also can raise them and drop them down to reach somebody and touch somebody that needs the love of Jesus in their life. One of our core values or one of our mission statements is that we exist to reach the lost. Are we really living that or going to live that? Are we going to be able to lift our hands to God, but at the same time, we can drop them down to reach and touch those that are hurting? See, 
God would probably be telling or saying to the priest and the Levite, for real, you're really going to leave this man lying there in the name of religion? Oh, because I'm a priest. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Levite. You're really going to leave that man to die there? So here's my question, and I'll try to, I'll try to give you what I mean in the definition of this. My question is this. Is that our conviction that God loves the world? And by our actions, is that just a decorated contradiction? Let me see if I can explain it to you. Um, because the way the priests did what they did, they represented, in a sense, the holiness of God, but they did not reflect the heart of God. Because of what they did, I'm a priest, the law says I cannot touch the dead. They reflected the holiness of God, but they did not reflect the heart of God. And how are you going to have convictions towards God when you don't want to help the people that God himself gave his son to reach and to love? Is that your conviction that God loves everyone? Or the fact that we have a reason not to love them, that's basically our decorated contradiction. Let me see if I can help you here. You say and we say that God loves everyone. But in the next breath, we're sending everybody to hell that is sinning the sin that you and I are not sinning as well. Hello. So does God love everyone? Is that our conviction? Or the fact that I'm sending people to hell who are sinning, but I'm sinning as well. It's just not your sin that I'm sinning. And so is that a decorated contradiction? The contradiction is I'm saying that God loves everyone. But my behavior and the way I'm acting is basically contradicting that. And so I'm kind of covering it up. I'm decorating my contradiction. Let me see if I can help you again. Listen, listen. With one breath. You say that women should not be leaders. Or, or you, you, let me see. You, you say that God can use anybody. It's your conviction, is it? God can use anybody. But in the next breath, and in your mind, you're thinking women should not get the mic. Women should not be leaders. I mean, you, you, you're okay with, with uh, 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 taking their body. You're okay with their lips and their hips and their fingertips, but, but you're not okay with their brain. So I'm basically saying God can really use everybody. Is that your conviction? Or God cannot use women. That's your decorated contradiction. You're just touching it up. You're just... Making it look pretty that in reality, you're not in agreement with what God is saying. You know, Vida City Church, we better check to see our convictions because convictions without compassion will lead to contradiction. Don't tell me that Vida City believes in reaching the world, but we're not okay letting a drunkard come in. We're not okay letting a prostitute come in. We're not okay letting a, a, a lesbian come in. We're not okay. Are you listening today, church? We can't say that. Otherwise, we're decorating 
our contradiction. And that's what this is all about. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God basically in this parable is letting this lawyer know and at the same time using the priest and the Levite to say, let me show you how God really looks like. Let me show you how God looks like through somebody that doesn't have a title. That some, through somebody that doesn't have a position. And so he comes out and says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. All these three men saw him. One saw him from afar and kept walking. The other guy stopped and looked at him and kept walking. But this guy, the Samaritan, came by and touched, looked, and saw. And the Bible says he had compassion. Compassion transliterates from the Greek word, it's called etymology. It's the study of the intestines. A lot of times you would hear Jesus say he was moved by compassion. Compassion means I feel you from the inside. I feel you from the inside. That the pain you're feeling is the same pain I'm feeling on the inside. So compassion drives you to do this. Compassion is I feel you from the inside. And the pain that you're feeling, I'm feeling it too. So in order to get rid of my pain, I need to help you to get rid of yours. Hello, somebody. That's how you know compassion. My wife carries in all of our cars. She'll put in hopeful bags. Wherever there is a homeless, you go, no, they're not homeless. They're hopeful. There's hope for them. And she'll give them a hopeful bag that has food, water, and a track, a, 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 a Bible track, etc. Because she feels the pain. She feels what they're going through. And, and that feeling of what you're going through, that you're cold and, and, and that you're hungry, and that pain, I feel it. And in order to get rid of my pain, I've got to do something that would ease or take away your pain. Hello, somebody. So Jesus is teaching us through this parable that we've got to learn to be moved by compassion because I need to get rid of your pain in order to stop my pain. That when I see you hurting, I, I'm hurting. When I, when I see you crying, I, I, I'm crying. When I see you that you're down, I, I, I feel down as well. And the Bible says that this Samaritan was moved with compassion because when he looked at that man, he saw himself. Not only did he see himself, but at the same time, he's saying to himself, that does not stop of me being just like him maybe later on. I could be him, or I was him, and know what that feels like. Jesus came into my life, and I found refuge in him. And so that's what this man is, Jesus is trying to teach us through this 
story of the Good Samaritan that he was moved with compassion because he saw himself in that individual. See, when you have compassion for somebody, their burden becomes your burden. When you have compassion for somebody, their pain becomes your pain and their problem becomes your problem. So the first thing that this Samaritan man that walks by and sees this injured guy the first thing he did, he was provoked by compassion. He was provoked by compassion. He says, I feel you. I feel you. Maybe you got to turn to somebody because you might not know really what they're going through. But just tell them, look, look, I'm trying to feel you. I'm trying to feel you. I'm trying to know what you're going through. I'm trying to feel what, what the pain that's, that's hurting you and causing you. I'm try, trying to feel you, and I know you're bleeding some way, somehow, and, and I'm trying to feel, feel you. That's what this, this Samaritan person was feeling from, uh, or was, what, yeah, was feeling, but at the same time conveying to that injured guy that had been attacked and left for dead on the road. I, I, I feel you. I, I, I feel you. So I'm going to minister to your pain. Because stopping your pain, if I feel you, it's going to stop my pain. Compassion. Do we have that compassion or have we lost that compassion? It's not enough to have conviction if you don't have compassion. Because as I've been stating, conviction without compassion leads to contradiction. And sometimes we're very good and notable, notorious to cover and decorate our contradictions. God help us. We say we care for the homeless or we care for the injured. We care and we do nothing to do that or to help in that situation. Not only was this man moved by compassion, but this man was also, he provided care. The Bible says in verse 34 that he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, set him on his animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He did four things. First thing that he does is that he wrapped up his wounds. He bandaged and wrapped up his wounds. That means... He provided protection in the areas that the man was vulnerable. Wrapped up his wounds. His wounds, they were vulnerable to infection. They were vulnerable to being exposed to, to dirt. And so he, he, he wraps him up. I, I, I don't need you to have and put hands on me when I'm successful. I need you to be able to roll your sleeves up and put your hands in my mess and when I'm dirty as well. Hello, somebody. I need you. I remember one time, and he, he visits uh, every so often in our Spanish service. His name is Jose, drunkard, alcoholic. I remember one day he shows up. He has urinated all over him. Not only urinated, you can tell that he also had done the other He's all dirty and stinky. And my first reaction was, this guy needs to get away and not even come near me because I can smell him a mile away. But as he became, came closer, 
recognizing who he was, I embraced him. And I had a meeting about maybe 20 minutes prior uh, or after that. And I embraced him, and I, I noticed that what he has on him is somehow rubbing on me. And our men of our church who know who he is right away saw him as well, and they welcomed him. And throughout the next couple of weeks, sobered up, cleaned up, and we've seen him come. He's having some uh, issues with his eyes. But what I'm getting at is that can we get our hands dirty and get dirty when they're dirty or we will only touch them and extend a helping hand when they're all cleaned up and they're successful? The Bible says that he, wound, he wrapped up his wounds. He had to get this guy. Guy is a bloody mess. Remember, he's half dead. And yet he's willing to get his hands dirty in his mess to try to wrap him up and try to provide protection in those vulnerable areas. And isn't that what Jesus did with us? That he got his hands dirty, his feet dirty, his face dirty because of our sin and gave his life for you and for me. Are we not to do the same to others? The second thing that he does, it says that he poured out oil and wine. The oil and wine in the biblical days were the sort of, uh, of uh, medica medical treatments. The wine was poured in the wound to prevent or minimize infection. That's called purification. And then the oil was poured to soothe and to heal and minimize the pain. That's what the church is called to do, to be the wine to, to come in and stop any infection and, and, and to be able to be the oil that will come and try to soothe, heal, and minimize the pain that a, a, a dying and hurting world is feeling. Not only that, but the third thing that he does, he provides the transportation. In order to provide the transportation, he has to pick him up. In order to provide and give him his transformation, he has to get off of his high horse and pick him up. And instead of he be riding, he's willing to give his seat to the one that is wounded and to the one that is hurting. And Lord, help us that we become so haughty and that we're always riding the, 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 the high seat that we cannot give our seat up so that the wounded and the hurting can sit there while we take them to a place of refuge, a place of healing, and a place of restoration. You know, we'd have more people here if we would use our vehicles to bring them, family and friends that live nearby. I remember when we were in Waco, we would have to go, not have to, we wanted to because we wanted them to be in church, to go pick up family, to go pick up the elderly, to go pick up some, uh, some of the kids that the parents didn't want to come to church, but they were willing to let them come to our church because we had made acquaintances and friendships. This guy was willing, and that's what Jesus is showing. I'm willing to leave my high seat in heaven, everything I have, and come so that you could sit in heavenly places. Hello, somebody. So Jesus, through this parable, is teaching us 
what we must be able and willing to do to step down out of our seat of authority, to come down to where hurting people are and pick them up and put them in the place that we were. The last thing that he does is that he pays the debt and he pays the price. He takes them to the inn and he gives some money there and he says, hey, take care of them. And whatever more you spend, let me know when I come back, I'll pay that to you. I don't know if there's anybody here that can thank God that whenever you had a need, God showed up out of nowhere and provided for what you needed and provided what you thought you would never be able to have. And just in the nick of time, that's what Jesus is saying. This guy is wounded. This guy is hurting. He is half dead, but the other half of his life will die if nobody attends him. And all of a sudden, the Samaritan guy shows up. Did he know that he was coming? No. Was he expecting for somebody to come? No. He was expecting to die. But just in the nick of time and in the time of need, uh, the Samaritan guy shows up to honor, to sponsor, to help, to heal. And I've come to tell you that's what Vida City Church needs to be in these last days. Let's not wait till we see what's happening in Ukraine begin to happen in the United States that we're having to hide uh, in sub uh, uh, bus stations or, 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 or in, in, in a hiding place just to protect ourselves, etc. We must need to take action now and that Vida City Church can be that church to say we showed up in the nick of time when you thought there was no hope Vida City Church was there when you thought that there was nothing else could be done Vida City Church showed up to let you know God thinks of you and used me to come and let you know that God hasn't forgotten you see paid the price and I'll close with this because you probably Musicians, you can come up. I told you earlier that there's a high probability that this guy, knowing that he was going through that road where other people had died and other people had bled being attacked, knowingly he decided to go anyway. Say with me, anyway. And yet when the Samaritan, good Samaritan shows up to where he's at, bleeding, half dead, he didn't look at him and say, what are you doing here? He didn't look at him and say, that's what you get, okay? You know how dangerous this is. For being stupid, that's what you get. He, he, he didn't come at him that way or ask him those questions. He just helped them, listen closely, even if it was his own fault. And I know it's easy for us. I know. I've had chats with family and friends, members of the church, and I know that we're big and high on helping. Oh, but it wasn't his fault. Oh, but he was a victim. Oh, but, you know, circumstances help uh, happen that were out of his control. Yes. But what are we doing when we know it was their fault? And 99% of the time, it's that's what he gets. Let him learn from that. That should teach him. That should teach her. I guarantee you he won't go down that road again next time. 
And if he does, he's not going to do it by himself. He'll probably take his own posse with him, but that's what he gets. He'll learn. Hello. Don't look at the person next to you. Just look at me. What if Jesus was like that with us? Jesus knows the mess we were in. Jesus knows everything we've done. Jesus knows everything we said. Jesus knows everything that we have thought of that is sinful, everything of that. And what if Jesus says, that's what you get, being stupid. That's what you get for being so dumb. I don't know if you're stupid or dumb or you're stupider or dumber. Hello, you know, you know exactly what I'm saying. Don't look at me like, oh, I'm so, we've done that and we've said that to so many people. Hello. That's what you get for being so stupid, dumb, you know? I'm glad that happened then. I'm glad that happened to her. I'll be the first one to say that. I'm the priest. And sometimes I'll be the Levite and go look. You stupid idiot, that's what you get. I told you to do that. Hello. Yet this Samaritan, Jesus is teaching us, even if it was his fault. The love of God allows us to, there's a song that says, he looked beyond my fault and saw my needs. If any of us, starting with your pastor, is here, it's because God saw the need of all the stupid mistakes that I made. And he didn't question me about it. He just died. He knew it was my fault. He knew I made the wrong decision. He knew, that's why he gave his life for all of us. For all of us. My question to me would be, who, who, is, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? I don't know when was the last time that you saw the dimensions of the cross. The dimensions of the cross point upward in worship. They point outward in witness. And they point downward in warfare against the enemy. But the Bible says that we have the enemy under our feet. So, who is your neighbor? Whether it was their fault or not their fault, God shows us that he sent Jesus to wrap our wounds of vulnerability, to pour in the oil to minimize the pain, to pour the wine to cut any infection. He picked us up, made a seat in seat, sit in heavenly places, took us to the end, and he said, and I'll pay the debt. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He paid the debt. Would you stand to your feet this morning, Beaver City Church? Be the city church exists in this community to win the lost. And that's what we want to do. I want you to bring some sermons that deal with this that leads us to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, how much he was willing to go to win you and me who were lost. win the lost we have to train the one or disciple the one train the believer send the call and replant another church
all starts with winning the lost. As they sing the song, if you are grateful that the Good Samaritan named Jesus Christ stopped on the dangerous road that we, I'm going to use a nice word, because of our negligence, walked anyway, knowing the dangers that there were, knowing the history that others lost their lives, but you're glad that he stopped to save you. Would you come for a few minutes to this altar? As they sing the song. He stopped at that bar that you were sitting at. He stopped at that hotel room. Is that our conviction or is that our decorated contradiction? We talk about the sin of lesbianism, homosexuality, and that God's going to send them to hell. Okay, that could be a conviction. But you're okay with your kids, you're okay with sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse. You're, you're okay with what's called fornication and adultery that the world, word of God calls it. But we're okay with that. Is that our conviction? Or this is just our decorated contradiction? Because what we practice is not what we believe. today was the one that was going to get you shouting and twirling around and running around and amen, hallelujah. Sometimes God just has to give us open heart surgery. And he's not interested in putting stents. He's interested in changing the heart. These men were trying to hide under their religious I'll presume that he's lost. I'll presume that he's dead. I'll presume that there's no help for him. I'll presume so that I can keep my position versus I don't care like the Samaritan. I'll get off my high horse and put him up there. He doesn't have to walk. I'll walk and get him to where he needs to be to get whole. May this church, Vida City Church, be the end. And the end of their turmoil and may we bring somebody be able to pour the wine and pour the oil and get our hands dirty if we need to but let them know compassion that I have makes me hurt on the inside and when you hurt I hurt I feel it and the only way I can get rid of my pain is to help get rid of your pain